All right, well, good morning. So, <clears throat> how many of you have ever said at, at some point, kids these days? Either jokingly or not, but, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to bemoan the next generation, those who are coming behind us, and we, we bemoan how they just don't get it. How, how faithless they are, how misguided their moral compass is, and if only they would act more like me and my generation, then things would be so much easier, because after all, we had it so hard. I think that every generation has a tendency to see those who are coming behind them as the problem of today. But what if, what if we were able to change our perspective and see those who are coming behind us not as the problem of today, but maybe potentially as the solution for tomorrow's? So Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That's, that's those who have gone before us in the faith that the author is talking about. Those, those uh, spiritual fathers and mothers that are still around, but also those who have gone on to be with the Lord. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw, us, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And now sometimes, sometimes in the church, we, when we talk about this, the, the, the race of faith, to run the race, we, we think of this race as a solo marathon, because that's how we think of faith. Faith is something of your own. It's, it's your individual choice that you have to own for yourself. So, so go after it. Go out, go out and run. And, and we'll be here on the sidelines to cheer you on. Or, or we'll meet you at the finish line if you get there. But the problem is that fewer and fewer people in the next generations are deciding to sign up for the race at all. But really, the thing is, we've been talking about it as a solo marathon for far too long, and really, it's a relay race. That we have received the faith that has been passed down to us, from those who have received it that's been passed down to them. And that's what influence is. Influence is the passing down of something to those who are coming behind you. And in the immediate, in the immediate, influence seems invisible. But over time, your influence becomes visible in the lives of those who are coming after you, in the lives of those who are listening to you, modeling their ways after your own. For those of you who have ever worked in children or youth ministries before, you, you kind of know this. I would bet that there's not many of you who have uh, left a preschool Sunday uh, classroom and a little toddler comes up to you and says, you know, thank you so much for that lesson today. I really appreciated it. 
I really understand the intricacies of the Trinity now. Thank you so much. <laughs> or you've never had a middle schooler come up to you and say, you know, that, that message, I really took it to heart, and, and I'm going to remember it because I know that one day it's going to make me a better husband or wife or father or mother. So, so thank you so much. No, that doesn't really happen too often. And we may not see the results, but that doesn't mean that you don't still have influence over their lives. But here's the thing. Influence has to be earned. Influence has to be earned, and in order to earn it, you first have to understand and connect. I mean, this is true of every relationship that we have, but, it, but it's especially true of our relationships with the next generation and how we pass on the faith to those who are coming behind us. That when they know that they matter to us, that's a different kind of influence that you now have. And when they know that the things that matter to them also matter to us, that's a different kind of influence that you now have. You've probably heard this quote from Teddy Roosevelt before, where it says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And even though that's not a quote from the Bible, I, I think that that ought to be one of the things that's in the forefront of our mind, especially when we're thinking about sharing our faith with others. And especially when we're thinking about sharing our faith with the next generation of those who are coming behind us. And so in your bulletin today, on your, on your clipboard, uh, there's a little yellow sheet of paper. I want you to take that out. And I want you, throughout the message, if you get sidetracked or you just want something to do, here's something for you to do. I want you to think of a person who has showed up in your life and who has had influence on your life, besides your parents, but, but maybe, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a pastor or a youth director or Sunday school leader or a mentor or a counselor. Think of someone who has shown up in your life and who has had influence on your life. And I bet, I bet that when you think about that person and why they had such an influence on your life, it's not because of the information that they taught you. It's not because of the content that you learned from them. I bet it's because they shaped your character. I bet it's because they showed up and were invested in your life. And, and really, really that's what this all comes down to. Something so simple and so profound. That's today's message. Show up. Show up. That's what it really all comes down to because your best chance, let's face it, your only chance to have influence in someone's life is to actually show up in their life. That you have to be physically present in someone's life in order to make a difference in their spiritual life. And so we've been talking about the next generation of Christians how we can help them grow in their faith, share their faith, become leaders of the faith one day. And the reason why 
I think this is so important, is that because throughout each generation, we've seen the church change and adapt drastically with the rise of each generation. And in and, and each generation, there seems to be this movement from chaos to confidence, and then back and forth, this ebb and flow. And so I, I want us to maybe just take a moment and help us understand each other a little bit. And so there's a slide up here that, that I want to show, and it has the five different uh, generations that are uh, in our world and the five different generations uh, that are in our church. Actually, there's six. There's one before this uh, that's called the greatest generation, but we'll start with the silent generation. It's people who were born between 1929 and 1945. And for the first 10 years of their life, they lived in the Great Depression. And then immediately following that was World War II. So they grew up kind of in chaos. It was a pretty dark time. And, and this generation, uh, you know, this is the generation that, that had nothing. This is the generation that, that still saves the wrapping paper at Christmas time. You know those people? Yeah, that's the silent generation. And then the generation after them, that's the baby boomers. And they got their name uh, because when all the young couples came back from World War II, they had a good time. And uh, the population boomed. And the baby boomers, they're large and in charge. They're large and in charge. And they wanted and expected and, and even in some ways demanded a better life and a higher standard of living than what their parents had. That in reaction to seeing their parents' poverty and what they grew up in, they wanted a higher standard of living for themselves. And so the sentiment kind of became, he who dies with the most toys wins. Even though... We know that's not true. And then after them came Generation X, born between 1965 to 1982. Um, And at the very beginning of their coming to age was Kennedy's assassination. And then the height of the civil rights movement right in the forefront of their eyes. And then as time went on, it was Vietnam. And it was Watergate. It was just a harder time growing up in. It was, it was a little bit more chaotic than the previous generation had. And then after them, you have the millennials. This is my generation, born between 1983 to 2000. They are the best generation. <laughs> and they are confident, <laughs> we can say. But really, this is the time where the world began to open to them, and the world became seen as a buffet, because this was the age of information. This was the age where there was a computer almost in every house and access to the internet in every house. This was social media. And so the world became seen as a buffet that I can pick and choose what I like for myself. And this became true also of a spiritual life and our churches, that we could pick up some Jesus, but we're spiritual and not religious, so we can also pick up some Eastern mysticism and some Buddha and, hey, let's have a little bit of Oprah on the side here. <laughs> and then after me, the generation that's coming behind me, it's Generation Y, born between 2001 until the present day. And, um, <clears throat> and they were born into 
a little bit of a harder time. 9-11 happened. Terrorist attacks became more of a constant thing. They live in fear of going to school because of school shootings. There's racial and political unrest. And at the time that this generation came to be, it's the same time that Homeland Security, the Department of Homeland Security, was formed. And so the world that was opened up, wide open to my generation, has now begun to shrink. And I think that it's safe to say that this generation is growing up in a little bit of a more chaotic and harder life than 20, 30 years ago. And look, I'm, I'm not a sociologist, and, and none of these generational overviews are perfect. Each one has had their challenges and their triumphs. But, but I just wanted to show you that there is this kind of ebb and flow between generations so that maybe we can understand each other a little bit more. Because we may have little influence over the larger world where the next generation is growing up. But we can still have influence over the lives of those who are growing up in this world. And here's, you know, here's where it gets really interesting. That we live in an age where there is no longer a need to have a teacher or an instructor to pass down information to you. It used to be that if you wanted to know something as a child, you had to go to an adult, to a teacher, to a parent, to find that information that you needed, that you wanted to know. But now, you no longer need an adult because you have Google. And you can find anything that you want online Access to all of the world's content is right there at your fingertips. And so going back to this metaphor, this metaphor of a relay race of faith, how do we pass on the baton of faith to those who are coming behind us? And if you think about a relay race, when the baton is passed, the person who's receiving the baton who's going to take on the race after those who have already started it, the persons who's receiving it, they get a head start before the baton is placed into their hand. You've seen this on the Olympics before. And the baton is passed when both runners are sprinting at full speed. That's when the baton gets passed. And so now you have this next gen, Millennials, Generation Y, and they've started sprinting so far ahead that those who are coming before them aren't able to catch up. And they're not able to pass on the baton of faith. Are you with me? And so we have two options. We can either say to this next generation, slow down. <laughs> slow down, you're, you're, going, you're going way too fast for us to catch up with you. And, and maybe there's some validity in that. Or we can do everything within our own selves and our own strength to try to catch up to them. We can either say that the next generation is the problem of today. Hey, hey, stop and slow down. Or 
we can see them as the solution for tomorrow. And if we choose to see them as the solution for tomorrow, then we have to do everything that we possibly can to catch up to them, to show up in their lives, to invest in them, to influence them. Because, and this is fascinating, that even though this is the first generation of kids who don't need an adult to teach them, to pass on information, because thank you, Google, they may no longer need us for information, but they still need us for interpretation. And so how do we help them make sense of the world that they live in? How do we help them make sense of all of the information that they're gathering? How do we give them context for the content that they're getting? And this, this is especially vital for the church. Because as, as we know, there's a lot of information out there about Christianity and the church, and oftentimes it's not very helpful, if we're honest. And so how do we as the church help surround them and give them context to all of this content? How do, we, how do we do that as a local church, as a community, as a body of Christ? Show them this is what it's all about. This is what it all means. Here, let me help you. Let me give you some, some interpretation for why we do what we do. How do we do that? Well, let me say again because I know that this is so shocking and it's so profound. You show up. You show up in their lives. But what that means for us as a church is that it means we have to start thinking of church less as a lecture and more as a lab. You remember when you uh, went off to college maybe and you took biology Maybe they do this in high school now, I don't know. Um, but you'd have uh, the first part of the week was the lecture where the professor stood up there and lectured you for an hour and a half. And then later on in the week, you went off to lab where you got to experiment with and apply all that you had been learning in the lecture. And you know, I think as a church, we've done a really great job with the lecture but we've neglected the lab. We've neglected to have those opportunities for the next gen to experiment, for, for the next gen to apply all the content that they have. We've, we've neglected to help interpret what it means to love God and love neighbor by doing our own work of modeling it through justice Mercy, humility, and love. And if we want to see the next generation succeed, which, which I think all of us would agree, that's, that's what we want. We want to see the next generation succeed, but we ask ourselves, what is that? What, what is success for them? What, what's a win for the next generation? Well, I think, I think at the most fundamental level, I think it's that we want to see them succeed in love. Because I've never known someone to have failed in love and to have succeeded in life. And I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. But I've never known someone to, to have lived a life just empty of love. And that when they get to their final days, say that they actually succeeded in life. 
And likewise, I've never known someone to have succeeded in love and failed at life in the truest sense of success. I've never known someone to have succeed in love and fail at life. And when we think of the next gen, when we think of that generation Y that's, that's coming behind us in this kind of chaotic stage, this kind of chaotic world, don't you think, don't you think that love is the greatest thing that we could leave behind for them? That they can have all the information in the world. They can have all the information in the world but do they have a way to apply it? Are, are we giving them some interpretation to all that information? Are, are we giving them and showing them a context for all of the content that they're receiving? And I think that context should be love. Because isn't that what we do best as the church when we're doing church right? We give people an interpretation of their life through the lens of love. But too often I think that the church has failed to do that well. And we've been thinking of this faith journey for far too long as a solo marathon, and we've neglected to see it as a relay race. And so we say to the next generation, hey, go on ahead. We'll be right here on the sideline to cheer you on, but... It's time to get in the race. It's time to show up. It's time to invest. It's time to try to influence and leverage those opportunities. It's time to try to give some context of love in a world just full of information. Because what we're saying, what we're saying, whether or not we mean it, to those who are coming behind us, what we're saying to them is that they don't really matter to us. Not enough for us to show up. And we're saying that the things that matter to them don't really matter to us because we've just been silent on them for far too long. And so that yellow piece of paper that you wrote down, hopefully, a name of someone that's influenced you, that's had an impact on your life. On the other side of that, I want you to think about who you need to show up for now. Who's that person coming behind you that you need to show up for? Just as that person showed up for you, now it's your turn. Who do you need to show up for? And if you can't think of a name right away, that's okay. You can take it home. But if you want some hints, let me tell you about a place called Main Street. It's our children's ministry program where newborns through fifth graders meet to have the faith passed down to them. Or let me tell you about a place called Amped. It's our youth ministry for middle schoolers and high schoolers where they meet every week to have the faith passed down to them. Or maybe, maybe for you, those people who are coming behind you, you're looking at one of them. It's someone in their 20s and 30s, and you've been in that same spot. And, and maybe for you, 
it's your turn to intentionally show up in their life, to join a Bible study, do a, a service opportunity, an event that, that they're at. And, and people my age, my generation, listen up, it goes the same way for us as well. And you know, here's the really beautiful thing about our church. That all those five generations that I listed, we have all five of them here in this local church and, and well represented. And we can run with perseverance the race that's been marked out for us. We can do it if we, if we stop seeing it so much as a solo marathon and see it as a relay that it really is. If we're able to change our perspective and see those who are coming behind us potentially as the solution for tomorrow that'll muster up within us the courage, the power, the strength of everything that we have to go and catch up and pass on the baton of faith to them so that they can finish their race. Fixing their eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of all of our faith. And so I'll I'll end with this. There's one more passage of scripture that um, comes to my mind. And it comes from uh, the letters of, of Timothy. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had a much younger uh, associate, colleague, friend uh, named Timothy, and he wrote a couple letters to him. Uh, we have two of those letters. They're called First and Second Timothy because the early church wasn't great with coming up with names. Um, so uh, Paul starts off his second letter to Timothy this way. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. With a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. I love this which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded, now lives in you also. And so for this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit God gave gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. And then Paul goes on for the rest of the letter to give Timothy, his, his young associate, some advice to teach him some things. But really the tone of the letter is Paul trying to give some interpretation to the information that Timothy already has, that Timothy has had passed down from his mother and from his grandmother. And so towards the end of his letter, Paul says this as kind of closing remarks to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. Because you know, you know those from whom you learned it. You have to be physically present in someone's life before you can make a difference in their spiritual life. Timothy You've, conv- you've been convinced of this because you know those from whom you learned it when they showed up in your life. 
and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And, you know, while I think of the people who have shown up in my life, while, while I think of my little yellow card, there's, there's many that I could name. There's a whole lot of people who have shown up to have an influence on my life, but, but there's one that I'm particularly re- reminded of today. Some of you may know um, that my wife's grandmother passed away uh, last Sunday, um, and I had the joy of knowing her for nearly half of my life, which is just kind of crazy to think of it that way. But in so many ways, she has become a grandmother to me. And on Friday, I had the joy of celebrating uh, her life, officiating at, at her memorial service. And it was a celebration because there was so much of her faith that she left behind for those who came behind her, for her uh, for her sons, uh, for her grandchildren, and she left behind a legacy of faith for me as well. She was 91, part of that greatest generation, the silent generation. Yeah, she saved the wrapping paper at Christmas time. And uh, there's me, a millennial. Seems like worlds apart, but she showed up. She had influence. In my life, not, not only because I married her granddaughter, but she really took the time to invest. She really took the time to connect and try to understand. When those coming behind you know that they matter to you, you have a different kind of influence on their life. And when those coming behind you know that the things that matter to them matter to you, you have a different kind of influence on their life. And so, I want us to get specific. I, I want us to get, to get practical. Who's that person that's coming behind you that you need to show up for? That you need to show up in their life and you need to speak into their life? There's opportunities everywhere. And you know, there's not another place in this town that's going to give you opportunities like this to influence someone's life as this church does. And it's time. It's time for that faith that lives in you, that's been passed on from somebody who passed it down to you, passing on the baton. It, it's time for that faith that's now living inside of you to be fanned into flame and for you to pass it on to someone else coming behind you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you gave us a hard task when you called us to be your church. Lord, you taught us so much to your disciples. You modeled so much And then you went and said, go and do likewise. <laughs> and Lord, we've been trying, but you know the times that we've stumbled. You know the times that we've, we've missed an opportunity to pass the baton of faith onto someone else. God, we ask for your forgiveness. But Lord, today we also ask for your courage. We ask for your spirit 
We ask that your spirit fans the flame of faith that is within us. God, because it's, it's not a spirit of fear and timidity. Remind us that, Lord. But speak to us once again that it's a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So God, give us the courage to show up for someone just as others have shown up for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.